0: with 25% off at virtual.com slash podcast.
1: Hello, I'm Michael D J Eisenberg. I'm the tech-savvy lawyer blogging at the Tech Savvy Lawyer page and host of the Tech Savvy Lawyer page podcast. In this podcast series, I'll be interviewing lawyers, judges, and others in the area of law to talk about where they see lawyers, new and seasoned, taking advantage of technology in their legal work, and how all lawyers can utilize technology to better their practice, improve their services to their clients, and enhance their own lives. The podcast will try to stay focused, asking each guest three questions and asking the guest to provide their three top best answers to each question asked. There is no right or wrong answer, as each tip may or may not be the right one for you, but it may springboard an idea for you, and along the way, you may learn something new. I'm excited to announce our next guest is David Sparks. Uh, many of you may know him over at Mac Power Users, where he's been a co-host for over 10 years. And others may know you may know him from uh, his Sparks Law practice out in California, where he's a seasoned practitioner for over 20 years and has, I'm sure, many great stories to share with the audience. But more importantly, he can talk about how he best utilizes tech in his practice. Hello, Dave.
2: Hey, how's it going?
1: Uh, I, As uh, I mentioned to you earlier off, uh, off the recording that I am uh, sort of having my geek moment with you because I've been following you for many years. I've appreciated all the advice I get on Mac Power users, but I know that we're going to talk today about computers slightly in general in the sense that you know, how both people using Macs and Windows can maybe use some tips from you and how you've been practicing law and utilizing your tech.
2: Oh, yeah, so, I think that the technology, no matter what platform you're on, you need to master it really as an attorney in 2019, almost 2020 now.
1: And, and correct me if I'm wrong, it was because of your proficiency in technology that you ended up starting your own practice. Well, that
2: was, that was definitely part of it. I mean, I had, um, I scaled back my law practice a little bit when I, when I left the firm, because I also have a business where I make these Max Sparky field guides, um, the technology kind of video courses and, um, But so that was part of it. But but it has always technology has always been my secret weapon as a lawyer since the very beginning. I started back in 1993, so I'm I'm over 25 years in this racket now.
1: (laughs) So so what was your first computer back in college? Uh,
2: Well, I used Macs, of course, you know, for a long Mm -hmm. time. But when I started practicing, I was on PCs because that's Mm -hmm. you know what everybody did in the nineties on, you know, in the legal profession. So, uh, I am multilingual <laughs> if that makes a sense, but the, uh, yeah. So, but my first computer as a kid was, you know, back in the Tandy color computer days. So I, I've been, I grew up with computers.
1: I had a Tandy Coco as well. So, uh, yeah. I, I think you and I are pretty much on the same page, but y- you know, I uh, let me ask you uh, sort of a question off from that. What are the three problems that you see between, you know, attorneys using windows versus Mac and and visa V. I mean, some firms have both, some firms just use Mac. Some firms just use windows. Have you seen any, I mean, back in the day, it always seemed like there was a communication issue even just sharing uh, Microsoft word documents.
2: Yeah. I mean, most of that's not true anymore. And Mm -hmm. because so much of all business now is done with online web services, the platform you choose isn't as relevant as it used to be. Uh, I prefer Apple. I think that I just really like the little things they do with both their hardware and their software. But I mean, there was a time before Apple was cool that I used to go into courtrooms with a a MacBook, and people would laugh at me. They'd be like, what's that little toy computer you got there? You know? So um, it's always been kind of a, uh, you know, this thing in the law, this, this bias towards PCs, but, I'm not sure how true that is anymore. And I think people are just kind of over it at this point.
1: So, can you see, can you explain the justification that a solo or small firm practice would have in purchasing, you know, people on a more expensive computer like a Mac versus getting, you know, a cheaper Windows machine?
2: Well, I mean, there's a lot of studies out there. I mean, I think IBM just did one very recently. I, I I'll see if I can dig up a link for you, but they Wait. they had they're running Macs and they're running Windows PCs, and they determined that the cost of ownership actually was less with a Mac. They last a lot longer. They have a lot less service requirements. So um, that you know that is. you'll pay a little bit more, but even then that's not necessarily true. If you have comparably um, configured machines that, you know, if, if you get the entry line Dell, Apple just doesn't sell a computer with components that cheap. So, you're not going to get a comparable Mac. But if you get a higher end Dell, I mean, you're, you're still in the same ballpark as a, as a Mac. For me, I'll tell you one of the big things that I liked about using Apple computers as an attorney is the Keynote application because it doesn't exist on Windows. And I always felt like when I was in front of a jury and I would get up to give a presentation with Keynote, I just think Keynote is, is better than PowerPoint and, that's um something that i guess can be debated I, I used to i've been on the faculty at the aba tech show for many years and we've done shootouts where i was the keynote guy and they had a powerpoint guy but to me one of the unfair advantages the keynote has is that your jury members don't have bosses that give them keynote presentations but they all have bosses that give them powerpoint presentations and you know god forbid you stumble into one of the templates that they at the boss they hates you know throws Presentations at them every week. So, um, that was one of the things I liked about it. But again, I, I'm really not here to sell you on Apple computers. I think if you're using a, a Dell or a, a good quality PC and it's working for you with PowerPoint, you know, go get them.
1: Well, one thing I think you sort of hinted on, you talk about how Mac comes with Keynote, and, you know, we're, I don't want to make this a Mac show, but. I think one thing to point out, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, is that at least when you purchase a Mac, you actually get a lot of free programs from pages yeah. to numbers to yeah. pages of the word processing program. Numbers is the Excel spreadsheet. Keynote is the PowerPoint. Um, and and I, do you have any third, further thoughts on that?
2: Well, I mean, they do have a lot of creative tools built in. And, um, as lawyers, I think that we should be taking advantage of stuff like that. Uh, in fairness, if you're an attorney, you're going to have to buy a Microsoft word license, whether you're on a Mac or a PC. I do. I, I use word all the time on my, on my Macs and nobody can tell the difference at this point. It's not, you know, there were times when that was a problem. That's really not a problem anymore.
1: Well, of course, both, uh, both versions whether you get a windows or Mac, you have to do a subscription anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so Tell, tell us what are what are the three best tips and tricks you use a computer uh, for in in your trial room practice, your courtroom practice?
2: Yeah uh, well there's a couple things I would I would recommend. Um, and so I was a trial attorney primarily for mm-hmm. probably the first 15 years of my career. I have transitioned okay. slowly out of trial work and up to the point now that I have not been in, in a trial for several years now, um, but the, uh, I, I've tried a lot of cases over the years. Um, the, uh, one tool that I think, you know, obviously you, I always felt like, cause I'm a civil attorney. I won a lot of my cases on briefs before I even got to the courtroom. And one of the tools I just love for attorneys. And I think every attorney that is not using this, if you get one thing from this interview is find yourself a powerful text expansion tool, um, I use Text Expander. They're both for Windows and Mac and and full disclosure, they have sponsored some of my podcasts and things over the years. So, you know, I know those guys. But um I really like their tool because it can work with uh variables. Like, you know, we're all used to text expansion where you type, you know, C-C-E-L-L and it types your cell phone, and that's great. But um like I use text expansion aggressively as an attorney. So as an example, I had a case that had um, ten different government contracts that were in dispute, and I was doing discovery, and I had widowed it down to um, um, twelve really tight questions on those contracts. You know, uh, but I wanted to ask the question for each contract, right? Mm-hmm. And um, and I know that we all have paralegals, and we can assign this stuff out, but you know, being a geek, I often just get the stuff done myself. And with this text expansion tool, I created, once I, I'm you know, mastered those 12 questions, had them phrased exactly the way I wanted, with text expander, you can put a variable in the expansion, and one of them is clipboard, you know, take the mm-hmm. contents of the clipboard. So then I just had a, a document with the 12 contract numbers in them. And then I would just run that expansion with the various contract numbers in my clipboard and it would automatically generate that discovery. And it was so much faster than, than typing it repeatedly because I had specifically created them. I knew they said exactly what I wanted to. So I didn't have to spend a bunch of time fixing mistakes. And it just, you know, it's just amazing when you can bring tools like that into play. And I, I feel like text expansion for people who make their livings with words, Um, it, it's just so powerful. I mean, I even use it. Like when I send out my monthly billings, I have an online billing service that I use and, um, you have to fill out in the form on the website, you know, the the subject for the email bill and the client text. Well, I've got some text expansion. One of them grabs the current month and Mm -hmm. current year. So it'll say, here's the December 2019 invoice, you know, and, and I just type like two character string and it it just fills in for me and gets the exact month. And then in the body of the message, I have another thing I I It's called um, X bill B. So it's just those letters together. X B I L L B. So X bill body in my head. And it says dear. And then it has an, in. I type in the client's name and then it's got about four different things I can choose from. It's like, here's the thing we did this month. Um, sometimes for new clients, I say, if you'd prefer, I can mail this to you with the stamp. And so I've got all these things where I can select pre-selected, you know, phrases. And then at the end, it's got like an open segment. And as an attorney, I've always felt like in the invoice, give the client a summary of what you did that month. Don't just, just don't send them a bill for a bunch of money. Say, you know, this was a busy month. This was the stuff I worked on. And this is, you know, what we did. And so I will type that in, but all that stuff just gets automated through this text expansion tool. And uh, uh, when I meet lawyers who don't use these tools, I'm just like, what are you doing? You know, it's so much time you could save.
1: It, well, correct me if I'm wrong. I use Text Expander too, as well. And uh, I get a monthly little uh, email from them saying that you've saved this much time using Text Expander. Yeah. And cr- uh, I'm sorry. It's crazy how much
2: time you can save when you get those reports. <laughs>
1: And, and, you know, uh, a couple weeks prior to the dropping of this podcast, uh, I'm going to be uh, presenting at the DC Bar Association, uh, basically a five minute tech uh, trip, excuse me, tech tips. For lawyers, which includes some basic snippets, um, not the in-depth stuff of a text expander, but things that you can do automatically uh, through your keyboard. Uh, you know, like uh, if you type uh, for me, I, I have like if you type dot S, it will give you the section symbol um, or if I type dot phone, it gives you the phone number or dot Sal, the salutation that I typically do, you know, including all the important, you know, disclaimer information. Is is there other simple things that you use text expander for? Say for you know, more the novice, the beginner.
2: Well, I mean, all the address stuff is there. Mm -hmm. I have directions to my office as an expansion snippet. So if someone emails me and they're going to meet me at my office, I'll I'll just type in you know xdir and it puts directions to the office in. Um, I even use it for. uh, repeated contract terms. Like in California, we have a very mm-hmm. special waiver uh, of unknown claims. You can't just wave, put the word unknown in a waiver of claims. You have to include uh, statutory language and I've got that on a, a snippet. So I, I I, think I have over a thousand snippets. And the funny thing is my fingers know them, but my brain doesn't. If you ask me, you know, what <laughs> would you type to make these happen? I'm not even sure, but if I just put my hands on a keyboard, they come mm-hmm. out of me. Mm-hmm. Um, Um, But the text expansion, I think, is just it's just such an easy thing for lawyers with the um, if you get the team's version of text expander. You can even like have your, your paralegal staff and secretarial staff Mm -hmm. working from the same bucket of expansion snippets. So like you can write them exactly how you want. Like if you, let's say you're an estate planning attorney and you want to have a special way to respond to email inquiries from a state, a potential client, you can write that, but then your staff can actually execute it for you. So it's, it's just very powerful and, uh, it just seems tailor made for attorneys.
1: Roger on that. So, all right. Well, that's one. Number two. Uh, you talked
2: about trial lawyers. Mm-hmm. Um, I have over my career. I remember when I first started. You know, everybody got blowups. That was the thing. You'd, you'd show up to court. Remember? Right. Yeah. Uh, you'd have the you know the contract blown up to the size of Montana, and then that was like a sacred blow up during the the trial, you'd be very careful about writing on it. Well, then we got presentation software and suddenly we didn't need blow ups anymore and we could do a lot more with it. But I feel like lawyers do a very most lawyers. I have tried cases against don't understand presentation technology, how it works. Mm -hmm. Uh, They don't understand how to connect things and they don't understand how to make a good presentation. Um, I mean, I, I had a case where it was a big real estate case it was out of town. So I showed up with my Mac and you know, my little projector and everything was ready to go. The other side showed up with two lawyers and a tech guy, but they realized the day they got there, they didn't have the right cable for their Elmo, you know? <laughs> and it was just like dumb things like that. And uh, I think as a lawyer, you cannot offload that, that problem. You know, if you're like, well, I'm a smarty, you know, smart lawyer here. I'm, I am, you know, I've got all this stuff figured out. I'm a real smart guy. I don't need to figure out how to connect the computer to the projector. I hire people for that. That's below me. No, it isn't, you know, because you, if you don't understand this stuff yourself, you are going to get to a point at some point where you need to give that presentation and it's not going to work. And, uh, you know, that is unacceptable. You know, if your client is paying you hundreds of dollars an hour, that stuff just needs to work. So number one, learn the technology, um, uh, I have done very little over the years. Occasionally somebody will convince me to help them write their presentation for their case. And, you know, I'm busy enough. I don't really want to get into that business. Right. But, but on the, the day, the time, the few times I've done it for people, I always show up at their office at some point and I put all the gear on the table. I'm like, okay, hook it up, you know? you need to figure this out because I'm not going to be there with you the day of trial and you've got to figure it out. So I think learn the technology. And then the other thing is there's, there's good books out there about how to be persuasive with the presentation. You know, the, the real short version, I actually wrote a book about it, but Mm -hmm. the, the real short version of it is a presentation is not there to replace you as the attorney. It's there to enhance your words. Right. You know, so often, I go to trial or even like I just did, we're working on a merger thing right now. And I saw an attorney presentation and he did the, the unforgivable. He put a slide up with a bunch of words on it and he turned mm-hmm. around and started reading them to the audience. You know, mm.
1: um, Ed, we had judge Dixon on uh, several. Um, yes. He's great. i yeah, I've worked so with he, him at the tech he show. Was, he was fantastic. And yeah. uh, you know, one of the things he said is you, you still have to know your case. You know, yeah. regardless of what you put up there you still yeah. got to know your case so let me ask you along those lines you know you mentioned the the one attorney uh who didn't have the right cable uh, you know for the listener who hasn't had this experience yet you know how' that how's that work well with the judge if at all
2: yeah it doesn't uh, yeah. I, I, mean, it, I, it, I mean if whoever the if you've got a jury it's even worse it's like you know the the thing i i uh, when i was in law school i externed in the federal district court mm-hmm and one of the big takeaways I took from that was we all worked really hard to get things ready for the judge and and have our act together, and nothing would make us more angry than to see an attorney show up and waste everyone's time, you know, just just not have their act together. And I feel like jurors, it's even more so because jurors are taking time out of their life for a pittance of pay, at least in California,
1: mm-hmm.
2: and and they all have other things they'd rather be doing and when the attorney shows up and is monkeying around with the cables you know it's just disrespectful so i i think it's really you know, like one thing i do uh, like i said i'm not do, i'm trying not to do trials um but when i was doing a lot of them is i would always go to the courtroom the week before i would just mm-hmm. call the clerk and say do you guys have a day that you're dark or can i come in in a lunch hour and just hook all my stuff up to make sure it works i never had anybody say no to me on that
1: How many, I've, you know, I've listened to your, your podcasts through the years and I I know you've mentioned that, you know, other sides have come up to you after, um, you know, court and said, Hey, how did you do that? I mean, what was their reactions like? I mean, you know, a little bit more in depth than what you kind of hint at on your podcasts.
2: Well, I, I think I was called in closing arguments Yeah, I was a civil attorney, so I'm not like a criminal guy who tries cases every day. But I was trying regularly probably three to five cases a year for, you know, Mm -hmm. 15, 20 years. Um, And I was routinely called slick in closing um, (laughs) statements, which is really not my personality. If you met me, you'd you'd realize I'm not that slick. Um, But that was the way they, because they'd get to the end. And somebody would get up and start scribbling on like one of those big post-it notes on the wall, like a madman, or they'd have these terrible slides or whatever. And my openings and closings were always very polished Mm -hmm. um, in terms of the way I presented the data and explained the case, but it wasn't slick. And I always felt like that was the attorney just trying to cover up for, you know, not having done the homework. And I don't think the jurors ever bought it. The jurors always, would uh, quite often I had jurors ask me, you know, can I get a copy of your presentation? I'm in sales oh, wow. and I, I want to try and use some of those, those tools. And, you know, and they always ask is kind of a copy of your PowerPoint and I'd say, well, I don't have it in PowerPoint, but you know, <laughs> but, but the, but so, so I was accused by opposing counsel of being slick and it was always kind of funny, but that, that happened quite frequently. But um, I, I, I'll grant you that I've always been kind of nerdy and I definitely have a enthusiasm for this technology Mm -hmm. stuff. So that's part of it. But also I I really kind of going back to those days as an extern, I wanted to know everybody that worked in that courtroom, whether it was a jury or a judge or a member of the staff to know that I valued their time and I was going to show up with my briefs done and I was going to show up with my jury instructions written and the jurors were not going to have to sit there and look at me crawl around on the floor to find the plug-in for the cable when I was supposed to be giving an opening statement.
1: So we've talked about Text expander. We talked about your experience in court and just basically being prepared. Uh, give us one more if you'd be so kind. Sure. The other one I would
2: say, and this is a, another technology thing, and I, I'm a big fan of some of these lesser tools. I, I think, um, you know, there are some great tools out there for trial preparation, just, I guess, to keep it on the trial line. Um, But the most of them require you to have another person in the room with you. And it requires you to get special training for your staff and blah, blah, blah. And they're very expensive. And I've always kind of taken a lean and mean approach to these things. And that's why I'm a huge fan of trial pad, and okay. the stuff the the guy at TrialPad makes, he's a small independent developer. I think he has a deposition pad, trial pad. Uh, I should have looked this up before I got on. I th- He has several applications, but trial pad in particular is a killer app. And it's not that expensive. And you can put all your trial exhibits on it. If you figure out how to run an iPad wirelessly from an Apple TV connected to a projector, you can literally walk around the courtroom with your exhibits you can let the you know witness draw on your your ipad Mm -hmm. it's just super powerful
1: so now correct me if i'm wrong that is a ipad only an ios only uh application yeah so there's nothing for um windows tablets i don't think so
2: yeah and and i don't i'm i don't i haven't used a windows tablet in years so i don't know if there's something similar Mm-hmm. but but trial pad is just amazing um you know it's like you can you can have an exhibit on the screen you can attach a digital exhibit sticker you can just drag your finger or the apple pencil and highlight you can annotate images you can do it um, where the jury cannot see it it like has a live screen that doesn't display so if you have to get uh, approval from the, the the opposing counsel and the the court first you can do that um, it just you know for me, it like I used to fuss around with Elmos and all these other devices, and um, once I got hooked on trialpad and the first time I used it, I'm like, "Yeah, this is it." and that is one that I've heard from opposing counsel after the case saying, "Hey, what was that? How did you do that?
1: You know <laughs> so correct me if I'm wrong, this basically is your case file electronically that makes it easier to share uh, in court and present yeah. It's really mainly
2: for putting exhibits on a screen and displaying them in ways that you want. Um, the um, I I often, like with an expert witness, a direct examination of an expert witness, I'll often actually write a keynote presentation around that examination. Mm-hmm. Because for a direct exam of an expert, it's very detailed. There's a lot of exhibits that are going to come up on the screen. I, I already know, because I'm doing the exam, what order they're going to come up in and how they're going to be annotated. So I will literally build a presentation around it mm-hmm. because I don't know, have you ever seen it when a counsel their own witness, they're questioning their own witness and then they, they get to something and they've got to dig through three binders and find the right page to get it on the Elmo. Mm-hmm. Like, it's your mm-hmm. witness. It's your witness. How come you didn't have this figured out already? You know, so I um you know, crosses is, is totally different, but for direct exam, I I'll build a presentation around them quite often, but but, for all the other stuff, trial pad is just
1: great to listener. This concludes our first part of our two part series with David Sparks. Our conversation had lasted so long that uh, I thought it best to split this into two parts uh, in two weeks. Uh, there will be another podcast uh, with my last part of my three part podcast series with Judge Dixon. Four Tuesdays from now, there'll be a new podcast with Carolyn Eliphant. And in six Tuesdays, we'll release our part two with David Sparks. Hope all is well. Hope you learned something new and have a great new year.
2: When you drive a vehicle so reliable, it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty. You stop thinking about what you can't do